0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, that kind of sets the table for what we really want to get at over the next uh, few weeks as we uh, consider the season's reasons. So get your Bibles out and uh, turn to the uh, book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 1. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, and our message today is the need. As we think about the season's reasons and all of those things that go on that we uh, probably at some level partake in and enjoy, uh, what's the real reason for this season? What are we really about? Why are we really here? And uh, that's what we want to focus on um, over this uh, next little while, but especially today on that thing, the need, the need. Um, I mean, real need. Uh, not the kind of need where you uh, stand at the refrigerator door and you're saying, I'm starving, I need something to eat. Or you've uh, just had a dinner at a restaurant and the server comes up and says, uh, would you like dessert? And your response is, yeah, I really need some dessert. Or your coworker who says, uh, I need to go out for a smoke. Or you get out of bed in the morning and before you get anything done, you say, I need a cup of coffee. Or I need some medication to calm me down. Those are not uh, real needs. And if they become real needs, you need to learn how to stop doing them, I guess. But um, I really want to talk about the things that are at the core of our life. The thing, there's a real need in your life. A real need would be something like a water, clean, safe water to drink. You need it. If you don't have water to drink, you will die. Uh, we need food. We need to be able to eat. And if we don't have food, eventually uh, we would die. Uh, we need to have clothing that keeps us warm in the elements because without them, we would we would die. Um, from time to time, we need find ourselves, we need a medical system because some intervention is needed in our life. And without it, you would die. That's the level of need they want to talk about. The kind of things that without them, there is no hope. The kind of thing without them, uh, there is no life. That's the crux of what we want to get at, at the re- the season's reasons as we talk about the need. And uh, so we're going to focus the next, uh, this week and the next two weeks out of Matthew chapter one. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 18 uh, through verse 25. Uh, the privilege that we have to hold in our hands your very word which you wanted us to know and understand about um, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and in this text today that he would come to save his people from their sin because of the massive need uh, that is in our lives. Father we ask that you would give us um, the ability to hear well a willingness minds to be able to understand, but then Lord, that your spirit work on us, that we would have hearts that would passionately be willing to live out, change. Whatever God you do in our lives, we'd be willing to respond to it and live accordingly. So take your word, God, please God, do in this place what only you can do for the fame of our savior, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. And uh, while you're doing that, just a little bit of background. The uh, book of Matthew was written, and Matthew is giving his account of uh, what he understood, what God revealed to him to write. Uh, But really, we're seeing in this text um, kind of the picture of that as it is viewed through um, Joseph and what he's going through. You have to imagine what's going on in his life as he is confronted uh, with the reality. Uh, Somehow that story gets told. I don't know how it happened the scripture doesn't say how it happened we just know that he knows that Mary is pregnant and he knows that he's not the father and he's ready to put his wife away privately the bible said he was going to divorce her and just make this all go away he could have been very public about it. he could have shamed her in all of this and he's ready that's the kind of character he had to just I'm just going to put her away we're just going to do this privately and then he has a dream and God reveals him to him that this, this child that is born is a gift. It's a gift from God. And that though she was a virgin, she is now pregnant and she will have a son. Can you imagine the faith that it took? What He had to work his way through to come to the place of believing and trusting and knowing that that was true. And that's where he is. He's at this place where he believes it. And he understands that God is so faithful to Joseph to give him everything that he needs uh, for this story. But along with this reality that uh, Mary, who you are at this point, the the term is married because they they viewed things a little differently than we do today. They were, how we would say it today, they were engaged. Um, They weren't married in the full sense of that term. Uh, They were on that process, but she's now pregnant. She's going to have a baby and... The next thing in this that really struck me this week is I was rereading it in verse 21 when God says to him, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You guys are going to have a son. Joseph, you're going to raise him as your son. Um, everybody, who in the room who is a, everybody who's in the room who is a parent uh, remembers when your first child was coming and the thoughts for them, and your aspirations for them, and your hopes for them. Maybe you are a doctor, or a lawyer, or whatever you were, and, and your dream, and your hope is, they're going to turn out to be something pretty cool. They're going to be pretty amazing, and God's going to do a thing, and all that, the projection, and the hope, and all of that. Um, look what God says his son is going to do. Your son, the one you will care for, Mary's son, Jesus Christ, he's going to save his people from their sins, how cool is that? But how overwhelming is that? How beyond what you could even imagine is that? Um, I don't think my parents ever thought uh, that I would end up being a preacher in a church. They love the Lord and all the rest. But I don't know that that was ever really in their a vision of what I would come. They just wanted their kids to love the Lord. That's what they really wanted. And um, But here's one thing I know for sure. See, in Matthew it says, He will save his people from their sins. Regardless of what my parents might have wanted for me. I've never saved anybody from their sins. Ever. I've prayed with people who trusted Jesus Christ. I presented the gospel every time I stand up here and preach in church. But I never changed a heart. Not one single heart. And Joseph is there working all of this out. And then this statement comes. He will save his people from their sins. Well, why? Because there's a huge need. And Christmas is about the beginning on earth of the fulfillment of that need and how God is going to work and what he's going to do. And so Christmas is all about salvation. It's all about the great need we have and what God is going to do to solve this problem that we have in front of us. He will save his people from their sins. Three things. Three things we want to take a look at today. Here's the first thing we want to understand is uh, we want to see God's character. We want to understand God's character. You know, character is critical. We look in our society today, you look and you watch on the news or you just uh, open your um, email or your um, Facebook or you go online to read the news and you see how character is being destroyed right across North America. We see it in the failure, the moral failure of leaders, whether they're business leaders or or reporters or or whether they're politicians and, and character means nothing anymore. People are failing and falling all over the place, and yet character is so critical. Well, what is character? Well, character is being the kind of person people want to follow. Uh, Being a person with character is something that people would aspire to. As a father, I want to be a father who has character because my kids and my grandchildren and my wife and the church, they're watching. So we need to be people who have character, that people want to follow. Character is who you are when nobody is watching. That's character. What you're like when you think no one sees, when you think you can get away with something. That's when character really shows itself. Character by definition is moral excellence or moral firmness, and man's character in and of itself is constantly, constantly failing. We don't do the things we say we will do. We do the things we say we won't do. People are deliberately hurt or deliberately disappointed. Uh, People are bullied or anger rages and character is failing all across our society. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to live out and do the things we'll say we'll do and live the way we say we will live and honor Jesus Christ and do it and demonstrate to a world that doesn't see this as a high value anymore, that that this is a value for us. It's an important value for us. And why? Well, because God is a God of character. God is a God of character. This need that we have, this separation that we have from God, it's his character is the reason that it gets resolved. It's his character is the reason that we end up with hope in any way at the end of all of this. You see, the working of God for us starts with him. It doesn't start with us. You know, we live again in a world where we want to solve our own problems. We want to work hard to get things accomplished. And and we just think if we can do those things, we can get these things accomplished, we'll be okay. He will save his people from their sins is a void that we can't fix. And there's nothing we can do to remedy the problem. And so God begins the process. I know people in their lives all the time, I hear it as I was searching after God. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You came to a place where in your mind you were going after what is God doing. But it began with God working in you. We're going to see it as we go along and see our condition in all this. But the working of God in our salvation begins with him. The most famous verse in the whole Bible makes it so clear. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God started this work. I didn't start this work. The Bible says I'm an enemy of God. The Bible says I am dead in my trespasses and sins. God is the one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John 4:19 says, "We love because he first loved us." And this working Of he will save his people from their sin begins with God and it believes it begins in God's character. Some things about his character you can call them different words, um, the attributes of God. Or uh, here's here's a few of them. Um, The first one is that God is a God of love. He's a God of love, and he loves the unlovable, or he loves the undeserving. And God reached down in love for God so loved that he gave. I am so thankful for a God who cared enough that he gave. See, if it was left up to us, the, the rest of the world and all of its sinfulness, it's like, why would I? They, they, they messed up. They blown the whole thing. It's their problem. I'm not. They're on their own. And yet God loved. For God so loved the world. He's a God of love. God's also a God of grace a God of grace. Grace means that we get what we don't deserve. Grace is God pouring out for us what isn't ours on its own and and God pours out. Why? Because he's a God with his character that he wants to love us. He wants to pour out grace on us for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. That's his character. And, And if you think about it on the human level, God should have just written us off. He should just forget about them. They messed up. It's over. But he loved us. He poured lavishly, poured out his grace on us. In uh, Romans 3, 24, it says, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, a God of grace. Not only does he give us what we don't deserve, um, we don't get what we do deserve. That's God being a God of mercy. What I deserve For my sin, he will save his people from their sin. What I deserve for my sin is eternal separation from God, is hell. That's what I deserve but God is a God of mercy. In Micah 7:18 it says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. So the character of our God who has sent Jesus to save his people from their sins is a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who is holy. He's set apart. That's what the word holy means. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 99, 2 and 3. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. And so we have a God who is love and grace and mercy, but he's also holy. He's also a God who is pure. He's a God who is pure and he can't look on our condition. He can't look at our sin. He can't just whitewash it and make it go away. God doesn't come to us in our sinfulness and go, oh, it's okay when it's not okay. Cause he's a God who is pure Habakkuk or Habakkuk, depending on which school you went to. Um, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. It's a God who is pure. can't even look at the sinfulness of mankind. That's why Christ had to come to satisfy the wrath of God. I tried to think of how could I even try and picture this for us to understand how God can't even look at it. And probably the best illustration I could come up with is the husband who needs to uh, come before his wife and confess to his infidelity and the brokenness and the failure in his life and the hurt and the pain that is on her. And she would say words like this, I can't even look at you. That's the seriousness of our sin. God doesn't even lo- doesn't look on our sin. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be made right. And that's why Jesus came. That was this need that we have at Christmas, that he would come and save his people from their sin. God is also a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one. There's not another way. There's not another path. No one comes to the Father except by Except by me. And then John seventeen, seventeen the a verse to us says, Sanctify them or change them or grow them up in truth, for your word is truth. Then I think about the working of God in his character, and he's a God who restores. He restores the Psalm twenty three, the famous Psalm says, He restores my soul. He will save his people from their sin. Here we are over here in this condition. We can't fix it. We can't do anything about it. And God is a God who is preparing a way through the work of Jesus Christ to truly restore our souls. It was uh, David in Psalm 51 who said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David, the one who sinned with Bathsheba, had Uriah put to death and then is confronted by Nathan and he cries out to God. He cries out because he knows God is a loving God and God is a caring God and God is a restoring God. See, this is the character of the God who says Jesus will come and he will save his people from their from their sin. Now, that's God's character. Well, why is that so important? What's well, so important because of man's condition. It's so important because of man's condition. He will save his people from their sin. Well, what's that about? What's that about? Because if, if we get this wrong, we get it all wrong. We get it. God is in heaven, and he's holy, and he's just, and he's sovereign, and he's loving, and he's merciful, and he's gracious. But, but what is this issue with us? What is this great problem that demanded that Jesus Christ would come and? comes back to man's condition that's really shown in the catastrophe that happened for mankind. Keep your finger in Matthew 1 and flip back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And we see the catastrophe. We see what happens. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. And he puts them in the garden and they are to take care of it. There's one tree that they're not to eat from. And, um, and they're tempted And they're tempted. And in chapter 3 and verse 6, it says So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's what's called original sin, it's the sin of Adam and Eve. It's a sin that because of Adam is passed on and and put on all of us. But then the Bible goes on and says, for all have sinned. You usually don't have to take a long time to get people to the place of understanding we don't reach the mark. We don't even reach the mark in our own lives and our own failures and all the rest. You got to imagine what that looks like before a holy God. But for them, it says, um, they saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And it was a desire to make one wise. They saw, they delighted, they desired. The foundation of all sin, of all sin, lies in man's desire for self-assertion, to put him in a place that doesn't belong to him. A place of determination to be independent from God. God laid down the rules for them. He laid down the principles for them, the way they were to live. And Adam and Eve on their own thought they would come up with a better plan. And what they do would be a better end for them. And it ended up being a bitter end for all of us. They saw, they delighted, their desires. She took, it says, and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam is just as complicit in this as Eve is. He was right there and he did nothing about it. They saw, they wanted, and they took. Now before we're too hard on them, you just think about your week this week. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you think through your week when nobody was watching or when you wanted to cut a corner or when you were and you saw and you wanted, and you took. See, Jesus will come, and he will save his people from their sin. We don't have any hope. We are so desperately in need of a savior to solve the problem so that we can be reconciled to God. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. When we want what we want more than we want what God wants for us. You don't have to eat the fruit. You don't have to sin. God makes off ramps for us all the time so that we can escape. But we choose. And we choose. And often we choose what we want more than what God would want for us. And and look what happens to them as a result. In verse 7, the first part, we see shame. We see shame. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. It was a problem for them before this, but now they know, and there's shame before them. The next part in verse 7, you see them start to cover things up, literally cover up, uh, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They're trying to solve this problem that they've created. They've seen their nakedness, and they sew fig leaves together to hide their differences from each other. And then they try and hide. Look down in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Think about that. The God who created them. The God who is sovereign. The God who is omnipotent, all-powerful. The God who is omnipresent, he is everywhere. The God who is omniscient, he knows everything. And you got Adam and Eve with their little fig leaves running around trying to hide from God, thinking he won't find us underneath this bush. It's crazy thinking. It's crazy thinking. But I do it all the time. You do it all the time. We think we can do this stuff. We think that sin can be a part of our lives and somehow God's in heaven. He's too busy making lunch or wondering what's going to be for dinner for him to be wondering what's happening in your life and God knows. And God knows. And God comes down and he he meets them in the garden. Look at the verses eight and nine. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the Lord. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? That wasn't really a question about location. Which tree, which bush are you hidden under? It was a question about their, their spiritual condition. It was a question about the condition of their heart. Where are you? Things have changed for them now. They've put themselves on the throne. Where are you? It's a great question that God asks, and it's a great question for us to ask ourselves when we think about our own walk with the Lord, our own a sense of desire for him. And, and God says to you today, every single person in the room, to me too, uh, Paul, what he saw. where are you? Where are you? Not standing on the platform at Harvest Bible Chapel in New York region. Where are you in your walk with me? Where are you in your desires for me? Where are you in your passion for me? Where are you? Where are, and where are you? Where are you? And what's God doing in your life? How's your life being changed? Where are you right now? What's the thing that God's putting on your mind right now? i got to get that dealt with in my life because that doesn't honor the Lord. I think I'm running around and God doesn't care and God's walking with you. And he's like, where are you? It's a great question. And it's a great question for us. They have shame. They're covering up. They're hiding. Then they try to blame. They try to blame uh, we do this all the time as well, but they did it in verses 12 and 13. And, and the man says, after he says, where are you? The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I, I'm just going to blame my wife for this. I try that from time to time in our house. It's Sue's fault. I got to tell you, that doesn't work out well for me okay that's just not a good plan it seems like a good plan at the time but it's just not a good plan and so Adam's great thing is yeah that woman that you gave me is her fault Eve she just goes to the next step because she's now the focus is on her then the Lord said to the woman what is that that you have done and the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate now, there's no question the serpent had a part in it. The serpent asked questions. The serpent, but she decided to do what she wanted to do. He decided to do what he wanted to do. And they together decided they wanted what they wanted more than they wanted what God wanted for them in their lives. And there were serious repercussions, there were serious results. Adam died, Eve died. The moment they ate the fruit, the moment that they sinned, they died. They didn't physically die. They spiritually died. They began to physically die. And years and years later, they would physically die. But spiritually now, they are dead. So physical death, spiritual death. And they're in a place without a remedy of eternal death. And that's why Christmas is so important. That's why this verse in Matthew is so important. He will save his people from their sin. The sin that's demonstrated and put on all of us in Adam. For in Adam, all have sinned. But it's demonstrated in every day in our sin. The sin that is put on them has caused them to be dead. And there's no remedy for death. Um, Scripture gives different pictures of what our condition looks like outside of Christ. And the picture of death is a great one. Um, The Bible says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, So it's not like you're just sick. And if I just wait a few days, I'm going to get better. When you're dead, you're dead. You can't be undead. Um, And the Bible talks about them being dead. Um, It's not that just like their back is turned and God, you're over there. And some point I'll turn around and I'll go after you. Um, It's not like that. It's not that they're just disinterested. My education's more important right now or this is more important right now or I've got this priority right now. God, you're just not, you're not making the grade right now, God, for me. I've got other things. That's not the picture. The picture of us without Christ, the picture of us in our sin is that we are are dead. Here's some things I know about dead people. They're unable to respond to any kind of stimulus no matter what it might be. When you're dead... You're dead. You can't respond to light. You don't respond to smell. You can't respond to sound. You don't respond to taste. You don't respond to pain. You are totally desensitized. You're totally dead. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, And you who are dead in your trespasses, and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so their situation, and every person in the room, our situation outside of this working of Christmas that's coming through Christ to save us from our sin is that we're dead we're dead. We're also disobedient. We reject God and his plan for our lives and his desire for us. And as a matter of fact, we're enemies with God. The Bible says we hate him. We're depraved. That's another word that we use. It's a, a complete orientation towards what we want and our own ways. And as a result, we're doomed. And there isn't any hope. Adam and Eve are put out of the garden and there's a a guard as it were put on the garden so they can't come back in and eat from the tree of life because if they ate from the tree of life with sin they would be doomed forever. There would be no remedy. And God even in his grace and his mercy protects them even in all of this. And so we have God in his character reaching down to us. Man in his condition separated from God in our sinfulness A God who can't look on our sin. He can't just go, it's okay. And Christ will be the remedy. He will save his people from their sin. That's the third point of our message, the deliverance that is found in Christ. Deliverance, hope, new life is found in Christ. In Ephesians 2, verses four and five, it says, but God, being rich in mercy, we talked about that in his character, because of the great love, we talked about that in his character, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, even when we couldn't do anything about it, even when we couldn't fix it, God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, we talked about that in his character, by grace, you have been saved. God who is rich in mercy, he loved us. Now think about that. Uh, there are people in the room who struggle with loving someone. Uh, maybe you struggle with loving them because of the hurt that they put on you, something they did to you. You would rather they were dead. You would, if you never saw them again, that would be good, fine with you, um, just because of all of the pain that they've caused. And, or maybe it's not that serious for you. Maybe you can't think of anybody but that, but there's just lots of people, and you just don't love them. You just don't, you just you just wish they weren't in your life. You wish they'd go find a job somewhere else. You wish they just weren't your neighbor. You just wish they weren't. We were as messed up as we possibly could be. And God loved us. And God loved us. God loved you when you were at your worst. That should make us sit back and go, wow, that's an awesome thing what God does and his love for us in our condition. He was rich in mercy. He loved us. The Bible says, and he made us alive. He made us alive. It goes back to where salvation starts. Salvation doesn't start with man reaching out to God. Salvation begins in God reaching down to man. And in reaching down to man, in this verse, he will save his people from their sin. And then it starts in God where he's working in your heart to bring you to the place where you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the for your salvation. That's the working that God does. And in that, that's the picture of taking you from being dead to making you alive. That's how God works. And he offers all of this to us in a gift. In a gift, it's God's grace. For by grace, you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift that comes from God. This is the gift that that Joseph is learning about. This son you're going to have, he's going to save his people from their sin. He's going to come Joseph didn't yet understand what would happen. He didn't understand how Christ would come and how he would live the perfect life, how he would live the sinless life, how they would take him and hang him on a cross and his blood would be shed so that we could have eternal life. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, without that payment, there's no remission of sin. And Jesus Christ took care of that when he died on the cross. Joseph couldn't see all of that at this point, but we can. And we know how God worked. Says so he will deliver you. It says from their sin. They needed to be delivered from something. You need to be delivered from, delivered from death and delivered over to life. Everybody in the room faced that. Everyone in the room faces it. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've understood that deliverance from what you were to who you are in Christ. If you've never trusted Christ, you're you're at the, you're here. It doesn't make you worse. It doesn't make me better. Um, people sometimes say, well, Christians, I think there's something. I think I'm nothing. God is everything. It doesn't make me better. It just makes me a follower of Christ. And we get delivered from over here to overhear, and if you've never trusted Christ, the offer that is coming to you is to be delivered from who you are and all that you think you have to what Jesus Christ offers to you in eternal eternal life. We are delivered from something. It says we're delivered from their their sins. We have to own the fact that I have no hope. I am a sinner. I can't rectify this problem because God's standard isn't goodness. It isn't you tried your best. God's standard is... He can't look at sin. So sin has to be taken away, delivered from their personal sin. I grew up in a family with five children, probably once a week. At the table, there would be some kind of a confrontation of who did this? Who did this? And five voices would in you, you just like also like a choir would be, not me, not me. I didn't do it. Whose is this? Not mine, not mine. You never come to the place of salvation in Jesus Christ until you come to the place of understanding. You gotta own your own sin. He will save his people from there. from their sin. Isaiah 53, six says, talking about what Christ, how Christ would die, says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All, all, everybody, nobody's left out. I'm not left out. You're not left out. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one, everyone to his own way. Uh, the Bible says uh, there's none righteous, not even one. Everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him who Jesus Christ, the sin of us all, the iniquity of us all. And we have to understand that we have to be delivered from something to something. We have to own the sin that we have because the guilt of our sin gives us no hope outside of the work of Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. And the offer that Jesus Christ gives today The offer that God gives to you today, if you've never trusted Christ, is the offer of eternal life. It's the offer of reconciliation to right relationship with him. It's the offer to heaven. It's the offer to all that there is for the follower of Christ. Now, how do we receive it? By believing. By believing what Christ did. To understand why he came and what he did. I can't fix this gulf. I can't solve this problem. But God did and he did it in Jesus Christ. And when I believe by faith that Christ did that for me, the Bible talks about a word that's called justification. We're made just as if, simplification of this, but just as if we'd never sinned. The the slate is made clean. Does that mean I never sinned? No. All of my sin was put on Jesus Christ. All of his righteousness is put on me. And so when God looks at me, he looks at me through the lens of who Jesus is and what he's done. He offers us this gift so that the remedy of this need is made possible for us by believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's that simple. People go, it's too simple. I got to work hard for my, you can't work for your salvation. You can never meet the bar. You can never get to what God requires. It's done for you by someone else. And it's offered to you as a gift. Receive the gift and today you would be saved. I mean, I don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. You have to come to the place of understanding. You can't do anything for it. God did it. Your response is to believe. And when you do, it changes you. It changes you. It changes you because God's spirit indwells you, but it changes you because you get to the place of how awesome God is and how he has worked. And I I urge you today, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He will save his people from their sins. It's an awesome promise. It's an amazing privilege. There's a great hope in it. And there's this sense of protection. The coolest, the coolest, one of the coolest things for me about my salvation is the protection of the relationship with God that comes with that. The, the reality that when I stand before God one day, I'm not gonna stand there in how lame I am, how much I tried. I'm gonna stand there in what Jesus Christ did for me and the hope that I have that only comes from him. And when I stand before God, it's all about what Christ did. That's why, that's why I can have this hope and this protection so we have God in his character. We have man's condition and we have deliverance that's available in Jesus Christ. Well, so what? So what? He will save his people from their sins. That's what Matthew said. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, for as in Adam all die. That's the need. In Adam all die. But 1 Corinthians 15, says, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Made alive by faith alone, in Christ alone. See, there's more at stake here than just a nice Christmas story. There's more at stake here than just the birth of a Savior. There's a need. The season's reasons, one of this week's reason is the need. Next week, we're gonna talk about the glory of God. But this week's is the need that we have that was caused by our sin, that was satisfied by the work of Jesus Christ What I could not do, God did. In Acts 4.12 it says, and there is salvation in no one else. In no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin, hell, death, death. Saved from the power of sin with God's spirit in me to be able to live in my life. Perfect, not perfect, but growing up, being sanctified, changed every day. And one day, one day, what we look forward to, one day being saved from the very presence of sin when we are with God for eternity. This need that we have, this need that we can't fix is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're no longer condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote in the book of Romans. All that God offers, all that we have. And so maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you're thinking, well, pastor, that was a, that's a great message for people who don't know Christ. And I believe it is the message for people who don't know Christ. But it's also the message for every believer in the room. See, we live every day out of the hope that comes from what Jesus Christ did. When your marriage is a mess, you come back to my hope is in Jesus Christ and what he's done. When your work situation is a disaster, you don't know if you're going to have a job next week. My hope is not in that. My hope is in Jesus Christ. When you're going to the doctor for a medical report, my hope is not in that he's going to say everything's fine. My hope is in who Jesus Christ is and the hope of eternal life that we have as his children. So follower of Christ You live every day out of the hope that's accomplished because he will save his people from their sin. When you get out of bed in the morning, the first thoughts that come to your mind should be, Jesus saved me so I can get going on this day. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, this is an opportunity to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, the need is that we're dead and without hope. But in Christ, we have life. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it and the challenge of it. We thank you for your spirit and how your spirit works in us, bringing us to conviction, bringing us to salvation, bringing us to course changes as a follower of Christ to live for your glory. Father, as we think about the story of Jesus coming, the incarnation, why did he come? He came so he could die. He came so we could have eternal life. He came to save his people from their sin. And in the busyness of Christmas and all the stuff that's, it's all fun, Lord. And would we never lose sight of what you've accomplished for us in the real season's reasons. Lord, do this work in us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.